Cause on this day, the kingdom of God is marching on your way, and you can't stop. That's a good song. We won't stop. You never let our shield of faith drop. Ephesians chapter 2, before I keep singing, and Anthony gets me going. He, Verse 1, we're going to read a few verses there, all the way down to verse 10, but we're going to focus on verse 8. And when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them you to all formerly lived in the lust of, of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, yes. hallelujah, but God, yes. being rich in mercy because of his great love with, his, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us live alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing richness, riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Father, we thank you. We love you. And we're always careful to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. Lord, I ask as we go on this journey, our walk with you, that you would... Give us the tools we need to not be sidetracked, to stay focused on what you called us to do. In a world full of distractions, that we would stay tuned to you, that we would focus on our gauges and not allow the storms to trip us up. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would heal people, heal bodies even now, that miracles would take place, that you would move in signs and wonders. Change lives, change hearts. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when you're walking with God, you always hear it. Faith. Faith. See, faith is very hard to grasp. You know, how do you get a hold of faith? When we follow God, there, there's going to be a lot of times where we're just not going to understand we're just not going to get it. it. It won't make sense because God doesn't move or think like we do. He, he knows the beginning from the end. We don't. We're, we're, we're trapped by this, this thing called time. And so we have to move step by step, moment by moment, from light to dark, precept upon precept. So it's at these junctures of unknowingness, especially when trials, anybody go through a trial? Anybody have some tribulation? Uh, don't look to your neighbor. That's not your trial or your tribulation. But we go through things, amen? Right? And so 
we have to be like a pilot. And I, I, I share this, and I, I need to emphasize, we have to be like a pilot during uh, storms, stormy weather. See, pilots, they, they learn to trust their gauges. And I have found that walking with Jesus, there are certain gauges that we have. If we look at these gauges, we won't get sidetracked. So if you don't look at the gauges, if you don't if you keep focusing on the gauges, the situation, the storm, perhaps, the trouble, whatever you're in, will get you off, off kilter, will get you off track. And so it, it probably happened when the Ephesians text, uh, right here, a text was read, and Paul wrote this. And he says this to these, this church there in Ephesus, very large church, some estimate there was 20,000 members in that church. Uh, Historians note that the mother of Jesus attended that church and that Paul put his young protege Timothy there as a pastor, a young pastor in this large church. And Paul writes a letter to this church and he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Now when you read that, I imagine everybody in the church saying, What? What is he, talk- what is he talking about? Because these concepts, although they're centuries old to us, these are new things to them. This is for grace, by grace you're saved, and by faith, and it's a gift. They're not used to that gift. You've got to do something. You have to work. You have to, you know, they, they, they're not, they weren't uh, uh, accustomed to gift like this. No, no, no. What good will biblical training do when hard times come. See, we have these concepts, and it was a new concept, and for some of us, maybe it's new to you as well. But when hard times come, I mean real hard times, and I say, just believe God, even saved by grace, it's a gift of God. Does that help you? Let's be honest. You know, you, you, you smile and say, oh, that's nice. But really, don't you just feel like slapping somebody when they tell you that? Don't you know what I'm going through? I'm having a hard time right now. And you're going you're gonna to read me this letter? Huh? Graves, faith, save, gift. See, many times during your walk, you're not going to have the answers. You're just not. Your leaders will not be in a position to help. And during... Turbulence, Christians, look to your neighbors, I'm a Christian. Christians must be able to fly blind. You're going to have to fly blind, right? Because you're not going to know what's going to go on. You're just not. And if you're looking for that answer, I'm here to tell you. If somebody might tell you differently, I'm telling you they're wrong. You're not going to know how God's going to come through. But I'm going to tell you one thing, that he will come through. See, there's four crucial Christian concepts, these four that I just mentioned, four terms that stand like bedrock or blocks of bedrock, forming the foundation of what we believe. Four words that appear together, only appear together in this verse in the entire Bible. And these concepts are all over the Bible. Faith, grace, a gift of God, salvation. You'll see them everywhere, but nowhere in the scripture do they appear in one sentence other than here. These words in a decaying world that quickly confused the untrained believer. The average person, and this is why we get, we get confused or we're not trained. 
We're not focused. The average person today has 484 wants or desires. You go, I don't have that many. Oh, yeah, you do. You know, certain clothes, right? From, from your underwear to your outerwear, right? Desires, wants. You all, you have them. That's a lot. There's a bunch right there. And, you know, and then your shoes and your socks and your hair and your, the color and what comb, right? Uh, what cologne. Some people have like 40,000 pieces of cologne, right? Right? And then you can keep going. And go, that's just you. Let's step out of you. What kind of car? What, 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 what color of the interior? What color of a car? Is it a four-wheel drive, a two-wheel drive, right? Is it an Audi? Is it a Mercedes? Is it a Lexus? Is it a Hoopty? Right? Of these, right, four, we have 484 wants and desires. A hundred years ago, the average person had 72. Now think about that. So now we're saying, God, we, we're trying to focus on God with 484 desires. The storm, and this is the storms of life, the desires of life. The storms come in. Of these 484, 94 can be classified as necessities, that we need them. So we might have 94 necessities compared with only 16 necessities 100 years ago. So you can, can you see the confusion already? 100 years ago, there were only 200 articles being offered for sale. Think, it's hard for us to imagine that. 100 years ago, no matter what you wanted to buy, you only had the option to buy 200 things that were for sale. Today, the total is well over 32,000. Life keeps moving. So how do believers overcome the confusion of today's society? Because we're talking about storms of life. Oftentimes, it's not really a storm, it's just all the choices. That fight for each other, fight for your attention. How do we fight? How do we focus? We've got to look at the four building blocks. So we should be connoisseurs of these four building blocks. The first one being grace. You know what a connoisseur, we should know all about it. Everything about it. Our life, your life, what you do aside on your own time should be understanding what is grace. Because listen, grace is one of the building blocks that will keep you focused. In John 1.17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Christ Jesus. Grace is favor or kindness shown without regard or without worth or merit. Uh, uh, meaning, no matter how messed up you are, anybody ever feel all messed up, not worthy of God because of what you did? Well, hang in there. So, so does everybody. But that's where grace comes in. You have to understand, yes, you're not worthy. You are worthless. Okay, so what? What else are you telling me? What new, what new, some new devil? I know that. Despite the fact that we don't deserve anything, God gives us it. God loves us. God chooses us. Because right? the enemy would want to put guilt in on you. And that's not how we're, we're to walk. Grace is favor. Despite one's wretchedness of the one who receives it, and regardless if one deserves it, grace is given to you. It's yours. Say Amen. See, grace is the one key, uh, the one of the key attributes, rather, of God. In Exodus 34, 6, the Bible reads like this, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, 
the Lord God, compassionate and full of graves. Full of graves. See, therefore, graves is almost associated, or always rather associated with mercy, love, compassion, and patience. See, if you don't have graves, it's very difficult for love to flow, for compassion to flow, for mercy to flow, and patience, although those are very important, but that grace, because like God gives you grace, hello, if God gives us grace, shouldn't we do the same? Patience, love, compassion, mercy. Like, like a MMA fighter, tap out, mercy, huh? See, grace is a source of help and deliverance at times of distress. That's why when you're in a trial, hang in there. You may not deserve it, and you may have done something wrong to get you there, but grace is always there. God will always give you grace. All you got to do is ask, God, I'm sorry. Ask for repent, and grace is on its way. Oh, that's a good time to say amen. See, the supreme example of grace was the redemption of the Hebrews from Egypt. They came here to these, these slaves, these perverted slaves that were, were filthy people. God, despite their filthiness and who they were, he delivered them out of, out of Egypt and took them to the promised land. They didn't deserve the promised land. Right? In like manner, it's not because you deserve anything that God desires to raise you up or give you his calling. No, no, no. It's grace. For whatever reason, God chose you. That's why you're here. For whatever reason, you responded. Not because of anything you've done. It's just God's grace. And you ever look at somebody, that guy doesn't deserve anything. But he keeps getting blessed. Don't get mad. Don't get upset at somebody else's blessing. That's God's grace. Hmm? You should try to figure out how he got it. Don't get jealous. Grace is a good thing. See, that's a gauge. So you always understand, no matter how you're feeling, remember, grace is coming. Hang in there. Look at your gauge. Saved. In Matthew 10, 22, the other gauge of salvation, you will be hated by all because of my name. Matthew 10, 22. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. The, the very key. Salvation, you, you don't do anything. All you have to do is one thing. Endure. Just stay. Stick it out. Don't quit. Oh, yeah, you blew it. Yeah, we know. You rancor. Yeah, you ranked out. But it's okay. Grace came and just stick it out. Just stay. If you stay, you get sozo. That word grace comes with the word sozo. All right? And that's how we get the, 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 the cry for help. You ever see an island? You imagine being trapped on a, on a secluded island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and you're, you're lost, and there's nobody. You see an airplane. What do you do? You, you, you write down on the, on the sand. What do you write down? S-O-S. That's where we get the word sozo. S-O-S. Help! Huh? Sozo. Save is help. That means to heal, preserve, save, do well, to make whole. It's God's grace that gives you sozo. That saves, delivers, protects you. See, God's anointing you, rather, God's anointing protects you from the world the devil and the most dangerous adversary you'll ever face in your life. You. Well, don't worry about the devil. Just look in the mirror. Because the devil's under your feet. He's a punk. He can't do nothing to you. It's that person in the mirror that'll jack you up every time. Look at that mirror and go, ah! 
Huh? That's the one. Saved. Grace. By faith. The other gauge is faith. See, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Faith, that's the heart. It's not a tangible item. So you can't grab faith. But it's real. See, faith, you can't taste faith. But when it's in operation, you can feel it. You could come to a place, you go, whoa, man, I sense faith. There's faith. Jesus even talks about that. He goes, I sense faith. When the woman was, was, was sick with an issue of blood, and she said, the Bible said that she touched the hem of his garment and virtue left him. That really, she felt it. He felt virtue suck right through his garment. That's heavy. Why? Because that woman just believed, if I just touch his hem, ooh, if I just get a little closer, I know I'm going to get me some. Huh? And she did. Faith, it can be felt. Hebrews 11, 3 through 6, by faith we understand that the world was prepared by the word of God. By faith, right? So that what is seen is not made out of the things which are visible. By faith, Abraham offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony of his righteousness. God testified by his gift, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And verse 6, and without faith, say without faith, faith. it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because I want to please God. Then you got to grab a hold of faith. Huh? God. Why? Because God, for him who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You have to seek him. Why are you seeking him? By faith. Has he done, said anything to you? Not yet. Then why are you seeking him? Because I'm still seeking him by faith. But what are you asking him for? I'm asking him for this, this, this. Has it come? No. But why are you still doing it? Because I'm moving by faith. See, now you're moving into a point where you're beginning to trust God by faith. See, most people say, no, 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 no. If I don't get it up front, I ain't doing nothing. Well, that's, that's not faith. Huh? You have to not know to go. See, the American culture says, no, no, no. You don't go until you know. God said, no, 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 you go, then you know. If you don't go, you'll never know. Faith! Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You, sometimes you got to take steps into the unknown. See, if you're not taking steps into the unknown, then you're not paying attention to your gauge. Remember, I'm talking about gauges. I'm going to get you where I'm going to get you in a bit. The fourth one is a gift. That word gift comes from the word doran, a present, sacrifice, or an offering. The word I feel best describes the gift is sacrifice. It's a gift. God gave us a gift. But when you look at that word gift, I go, that's nice. God gave gave us a gift. How nice. God, you're so nice. Wait, 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 wait. No. God gave us a sacrifice. So when we think about the gift, it took the, the death of his son. It took embarrassment. It took beating. It took torture. It took pain. It took suffering. So when you look at the word gift, it's not just a gift like uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Birthday to me. No. When we're talking about gift, you got to understand there was a sacrifice behind it. So when you're going through your troubles and trials, you got to begin to look at these four gauges. The case of John F. Kennedy Jr., Let's look at this tragedy for, for, for a little bit. It's, about a, it's a tragedy of confusion. Now, you all know who John F. Kennedy is? Even if you got an F in history, everybody knows who JFK is. 
His son, at the time, had declared and was going to run for Senate in New York. In fact, he was going to run against Hillary Clinton. But because he died, Hillary Clinton became senator. Well, there was a high degree of confusion involved in his death. They're trying to figure out. John F. Kennedy Jr., his wife, Caroline, and his sister, Lauren, they, had, they died in a small aircraft, and it sat in the world. Kennedy was 5,500 feet above the Atlantic Ocean at dusk. At night, the sea and the sky begin to merge. You have a clear sea and you have the sky. They become one when you're flying at night. You can't see it. You can't tell the difference. There's no horizon and there's no stars. The plane nudges to the right, but the pilot can't sense the change of direction. So the pilot is virtually flying blind. Hello, say flying blind. And it is said by pilots that their eyes begin to glaze over because they can't distinguish up from down. Within 15 seconds of that nudging, the plane drops nearly 500 feet and turns 35 degrees in an angle. At that point, within 15 seconds, the plane begins to go in a spiral. They call it a death spiral where there's no way to get out. Such spirals are the enemy of inexperienced pilots. The body senses from the inner ear, from the eye, they're unsuited for detecting gradual turns in murky conditions. You can't see it. Sometimes one senses uh, will trick the pilot. They'll think they're, actually, they'll think they're upside down and try to flip the plane around and then put themselves upside down. And it makes a bad situation even worse. At the point of disorientation, the pilot must begin to rely, rely, rely on his gauges. He can't trust himself. He can't trust what he wants to do. His body says something, but look at your gauges. What are they telling you? A sudden correction back to level flight can trick the inner ear. Pilots who ignore their instruments in this situation turn the plane back into the very spiral they had just corrected. See, salvation in the air comes from trusting your instruments, not your feelings. Oh, hallelujah. Huh? See, how are we going to fly when life gets dark? How are you going to fly when your relationships are spoiled? How are you going to fly when your job, your boss don't like you? How are you going to fly when things ain't going right? How are you going to fly? How are you going to walk? Jesus? I've heard people, well, I want to go to church, but I'm going through it. Are you kidding me? You ain't trusting your gauges. You're trusting your senses, and you're doing things that you ought not do. You got to look at your gauges. Hello. Say, look at your gauges. See, we use our instruments. Why? Because we are faith flyers, not sight flyers. Let me say it again. We are faith flyers. We don't look at the situation that's happening around us. We have to look by God's eyes. We have to learn to fly, fly by faith. And those who make wrong decisions have never learned to trust their gauges. The four gauges I just talked about. See, when we sense confusion kicking in, we need to trust our gauges. Do not trust your feelings, whether you're flying right. Don't trust them. We don't walk by feelings. Don't trust them. Are you trusting grace? 
Do you really believe you're saved? Did God give you that gift by faith? Are you trusting these gauges? Or are you saying, no, it can't be. It's all messed up. And then God's trying to correct you, a leader trying to get your gauge in order, and you reject the help, and you flip back, and you go back right into the spiral that we're trying to take you out of. Why? Because you're not learning to trust your gauges. You're looking at the situation. You're looking at your wife. You're looking at your children. You're looking at your husband. You're looking at your dog. It's a dumb dog. Boom, kick him. Hmm? No, do not trust your feelings, whether you're flying right. So our eyes or our inner ears may say we're right side up or upside down, but we walk by faith, not by sight. See, what serves us is our instrument panel. And our instrument panel is found real simple. It's found in the Word of God. What does your Word of God say? So the gauge every believer needs. Now, when you look at a plane, this is where it comes in. I'm, I'm coming in for a landing. I can actually say that because I'm going to talk about a plane right now. There's four planes. There's four gauges that JFK should have looked at. You have the ultimate, you have altimeter, airspeed, attitude, and heading. These are the four gauges that every pilot has to be trained in. They can't get up in the air and carry passengers. If they go up in the air and not carry passengers, they can do it on their own, but they have, if they're not tra- trained on their gauges, they cannot carry passengers. See, these gauges help a pilot fly blind. A spiritual pilot's cross-check to keep us from danger. So I'm going to give you some gauges that will help you fly blind. The gauges help us not to follow the, the course of the world. Ephesians chapter 2, let's look, read there again. Verse 2 and 3, in which you were formerly walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Anybody been there in the lust of their flesh? Only one person raised their hand, the rest are lying. <laughs> Indulging in the desires of the flesh and mind. Hello, any more hands going up? And we're by nature, he's describing us all, by nature we were children of wrath. So if we don't trust our gauge, we can easily revert back to what Paul is describing. So let's discuss these readings. You need to watch your altimeter. The altimeter is the grace gauge I'm talking about. The grace keeps us all at the right height at the right altitude, that we're heaven-born, not earth-bound. Altimeter, Ephesians 2, 6, and raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places. Christians must learn to fix their thoughts above. So if you don't fix your thoughts above, grace gets out of you. When grace is out of you, why? It's because you're more concerned with what's happening now around you. You have to watch your altimeter. You have to watch your altitude. Are you looking to the things above, or are you looking for things for yourself? Are you looking around you? And we can really make them nice. Oh, no, I'm not just looking at myself. I'm taking about my kids, taking my aunt, my dogs, my family, my friends. Those are nice, right? But that's not what God intended us to do. He said, no, keep your eyes on things above. Let me take care of those things. You keep your eyes on me. You got to check your gauge. You got to watch your altimeter. 
Colossians 3, 1 reads, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And I don't care what kind of nicety you put on the earthly thing. If it's not a thing above, you're, not, you're setting your minds on the wrong thing. Well, pastor, this is so good. You know, I have to care about, you know, if, if anybody talks about my family, I'm going to have to do them in. Wait, wait, wait. You're not thinking about things above. You're setting your mind on what? Earthly things. I thought we said we let God fight all our battles. See, when you, when you set your mind on things above, God will fight all your battles. And then you, you remain in grace. But if you take things in your own hand and you fight your battles, guess what? You start chipping away at the grace that God wants to give you. You got to watch your, your altimeter. What are you looking at? Things above or things on earth? Oh, I'm getting deep right now, huh? See, it is those that dwell on earthly matters that lose their altitude. They often crash into the sea of regret. There's a story about a man named Demas, and he's mentioned in Colossians 1, 4, 14. You don't have to turn it for the sake of time. But it, Paul says of Demas that Demas is my dear friend. And then Philemon, Philemon, rather, verse 23, he's talking about Demas again. And he says, my fellow prisoner in Christ. And he named him Mark, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So first, he, here's this guy, Demas, my friend. And then in, in, in Philemon, my fellow worker. But then in 2 Timothy, something happened to Demas. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, it says this. Do your best to come to me. deserted me. See, he took his eyes off God and deserted, deserted the Apostle Paul. See, the things of the world have a way. You know all those desires? There's 400 plus desires and wants that are all around you. Those 32,000 items that you can't wait to buy, they have a way of pulling you from the things of God. Next thing you got to do is not only watch your altimeter, you have to watch your heading. So your, your walk isn't your flight plan. When you're walking with God, it's not your plan. Let me say that again. When you're walking with God, it's not your plan. If it is your plan, then you're probably not going to walk in with God. Let me let you in on something. I wouldn't trust your plan. You think God would? No, no, no. God has a plan. So we have to choose to submit to God's plan. So I have people, I'll, I'll serve God, but I won't do this. Oh, wait a minute. You can't put qualifications on how you're going to serve God. You'll serve God the way he created you to serve. Let me let you let you know a secret. Let me let you know a secret. Never, never in a thousand years would I have ever said when I came to Christ, I want to be a pastor. Right? My wife knows. I didn't, are you kidding me? Well, the last thing I wanted, you got, I'm a very, you know, very simple guy when I first got saved, neighborhood. I just wanted one, one thing when I came to God, real simple. I wanted to stop getting loaded. It's easy. This is all this other stuff got complicated when God said, well, that's cool, but that's not why I created you. Then he began to reveal his, his plan. And when he revealed his plan, I said, whoa, wait a minute, man. That's too heavy. 
And I had to cut, I, I talked like God, with God like that. Wait a minute, you're getting too heavy now, man. I didn't come to this church, Victor, I, I can Victor Outreach. I didn't come to this church because, and have them make me a pastor. I just came because they said they can help me and they can change my life. That's all I wanted. That was the deal. He goes, no, 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 that wasn't the deal. That was your plan. See, if I'm going to watch my heading, I have to submit to God's plan. Well, huh? See, the flight plan is set for us. Our job is just to step into the cockpit. Christians must first learn to follow. Flying level in the fog by faith, you have to learn to follow. Watching your heading is what the Christian life is all about. It's not your plan. It's God's plan. And the third, the third one is keep your eye on your attitude. See, when a plane flies, the attitude is the direction of the nose. Very interesting. The nose of the plane. If the nose goes down, bad attitude. Right? The nose goes up, bad attitude. Your attitude, you got to have a good attitude. Right? A bad attitude will disorientate disorient your nose. A bad attitude can cause you to ram to the ground or, or to lift it. And I like the way they say it. The nose. The nose the attitude. You ever see somebody walking around with a, and we use this phrase. Oh, that person, they walk around with their nose in the air. You ever heard that phrase? Like this? What does that mean? Well, they think they're all that in a bag of chips. Right? They're arrogant. They're proud. Why? Because they have a bad attitude. Their nose is in the air. <laughs> Bad attitude. Or you ever see somebody who's going through a bummer? How you doing? I'm okay. What's wrong? Oh, nothing. What do you mean nothing? No, I'm okay, Pastor. Walk around, your nose is pointing the ground. See, and we all go through this period, but if you keep your nose down, eventually you're going to crash. Ah, but if you keep your nose up. See, keeping your nose up is tricky. Because keeping your nose up can make you feel good. Especially when you think you're better than somebody else. Nose up, right? But if you keep your nose up too long, it's pride. Say, say it's pride. So the proud attitude lifts your nose up too high. And in an aircraft, if you keep your nose up, you can soar. Like 747, we're flying. Look at my attitude, because I'm this and that. And now you're soaring, middle, middle. I'm the one and only, right? All proud and arrogant. And you can fly. I'm short. I'm flying like an eagle. But eventually, in an aircraft, if you get too high, you lose oxygen, and the, pl- the engines stop working. And when they stop working, you go into what is called a stall. And when you stall, what does the airplane do? No engines. It falls. And listen, my friend, pride always comes before a fall. So if you to get your nose down, you ain't that bag of chips. You're nothing but a dirt ball made from dirt that God breathed life into you. Well, you got to remember who you is or where you came from. Hmm? Get your nose level. You better have a good attitude. These three things you must avoid looking to maintain your attitude. Huh? Don't look at others' faults, flaws, or failures. You know those people that always look at everybody? Oh, look at that person. Oh, look at that person. That person has a bad attitude. That person knows so high, you can see that in their nostrils. Man, if you keep looking, you can see the bottom of their eyeballs because they're looking up so high. Better get your nose down. Bad attitude, you. 
as I close, the last thing I want to talk about is your airspeed. See, it is important to stay within yourself, not try to get ahead of God. That's called presumption. Or behind God. That's called disobedience. You have to have the right speed. You can't go too fast. And you can't go too slow. You got to go right at God's speed. Amen? So you have to note your air speed. The crash of flight AF-447. It happened several years ago. It was a flight that went over the, the Atlantic Ocean. Air France flight 447. One after another, the autopilot, the automatic engine control system, and the flight computers shut themselves off. It was like the plane was having a stroke, said Gerard Anouar, the head of the French Pilots Union. He said the plane was having a stroke. The final minutes of flight AF-447 had began. Four minutes after the airspeed indicator failed, the plane plunged into the ocean, killing all 228 people on board. See, the airspeed is very important. Your speed is very important. Just like that aircraft. It has to be a certain speed, at a certain level, with a certain attitude, on a certain flight plan. But if you get your airspeed off, if you get presumptuous, and you get ahead of God, ooh, presumption has gotten many people in trouble. Charles Spurgeon wrote, spiritual presumption leads many to imagine that they are beyond the power of temptation. Oh, I won't, I won't fall for that no more. Uh, I learned my lesson. I'll never do that. Never in a thousand years. Oh, never say never. Huh? He goes on to say that they no longer... They are no longer such frail beings as their fellow Christians. They think they're like that, not me. See, presumption, as it relates to the mind, is a belief formed before an inspection. You make a, a, a presumption about a person. No, you've got to inspect first. Presumption, as it relates to the conduct of moral action, it implies arrogance or disrespect, the nose up. Pride, presumption. Presumption, as it relates to religion, is a bold and daring confidence. Now listen to this. Presumption as it relates to religion is a bold and daring confidence in the goodness of God without obedience to his will. See, many Christians are confident of God's goodness. You walk around, people know God is good. They know of his grace. They know his mercy. They know his love. They know all these things, but walk in disobedience to his will. Presumption, my friend, is called presumption. You're presuming that his goodness will supersede your disobedience. Ooh, your airspeed is off, Jack. You better get in line. Can I say that again? Better get in line. See, disobedience will always slow down or even destroy God's call for your life. In the crash of flight Air France 447, after the airspeed indicator failed, the plane went out of control and stalled. Presumably, the airflow over the wings failed to provide lift. Anwar, the pilot's union uh, representative, estimated that the plane fell toward the sea 
at about 42 meters or uh, per second, 42 meters per second. We would call that 95 miles per hour. Because of the airspeed, when it came time, because of pride, because of presumption or disobedience, you got ahead of God or behind God. Listen, when that happens and it's time to God for, to deal with a person, it doesn't happen slowly. It's going to happen like this. No, 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 no. When people fall, it's like that. And we see the crash. But we, have, we have no indication what was on the, the gauges. Hello. See, pride truly does come before a fall. See, Christians must fight for the call. The call on a person's life is a very, very serious thing. God hasn't called us to be Christians. That's a man-made term. That's an earthly term. God said before the foundations of the earth that he knew all of us. He knew you. And because he knew you, he prepared a plan for you. He has your flight plan. He provided the gauges to get you in line and to teach you. But in this day and age where Christians are so far educated, way beyond their obedience level, everybody's flying at different speeds, untethered speeds, doing their own thing, their own will. Oh, God is good. God is gracious. He is all these things. But it is very presumptuous to think that you can tap into that if you're not obedient to his will. See, airspeed is a very important, important gauge that we have to watch at all times. See, it takes a certain tenacity to fulfill your call. You can't be a sha-sha. You can't be a sissy-la-la. If you want to fulfill your will, you got to be rugged. You have to be hardcore. You have to have a tenacity so when the devil comes knocking on your door, devil, you're a punk. Devil, you don't want to wrestle. Devil, you don't want to play for the kingdom of God. Right? You, you, there's a certain tenacity to a person who is going to fulfill their calling God. See, we live in a country now that's creating a docile Christendom. All these docile Christians. Kumbaya, Jesus. Give me a break. We're not called to be kumbaya. We're called to be warriors. Soldiers, fighters. Paul says, be a soldier of Christ. Endure hardship like a good soldier. Endure what? Hardship like a good soldier. Why? Because we have grace. We have faith. We know our airspeed. We know God's flight plan. See, one must have an aggressiveness tempered by death to self to maintain one's calling. Why? Because everybody's, all the desires are everywhere. My goodness. That's why I hate going shopping. You go shopping, you want everything, don't we? I want, we're like little kids. I want, especially the guy like me, and if I go to Home Depot, and I go to the tool shed, like, I want it all. There's 32,000 items just in the tool shed at Home Depot. 
all these things pulling at us, pulling at us. And then we're trying to fight for our calling. If you're fighting for your calling, most don't fight for the calling. They just get pulled away by earthly things. Why? Because they're not looking at their altimeter. They're not keeping their head on things above. Mm. See, many times things will be asked of you that your senses won't understand. Why are they asked? To see how you respond. Why? <laughs> because we walk by faith. Do you take a faith step? Or do you take an earthly step? Your response truly determines your airspeed. I want every head bowed and every head closed.